Amen. Praise God. Good morning again, family. Uh, it has been several weeks, actually. Um, uh, I think I haven't been with you since before the end of the year. Um, it's been an odd time. Um, my family and I uh, ended up getting COVID and um, were out of we weren't out of commission. We just weren't able to be together with you. And uh, uh, praise God, uh, his faithfulness was shown to us in this case by the preservation of our health. Um, you know, the sickness didn't get very bad, um, and, and we're thankful for that. Uh, we weren't the only ones, actually, in the body. I'm glad Atticus and Bethany are back today as well. Um, praise God. Uh, for his faithfulness to us in that way. Amen. Uh, then not only that, my, uh, my family has been moving. And so uh, in spite of the COVID and the sickness, we had to carry on working and trying to uh, get our, our new home ready and the rental house moved out of. Uh, so it's been a busy, a busy season over the last several weeks, including the holidays and all that that entailed as well. Um, this morning, we're actually going to be in Hebrews 13, uh, verses 20 through 21, which was actually the planned text for the first Sunday of the year. And so uh, we will be there today, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. I'll invite you to stand with me now as we read the word of God together. And at the end of that reading, I will say that this is the word of the Lord, because it is, and invite you with true praise and worship to say thanks be to God. Let's begin. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. This is a benediction. In fact, your uh, Bible may have a subtitle or heading over this passage that says, Benediction. Um, many of the New Testament letters contain uh, benediction, most often coming at the end of that letter, where the writer, especially Paul, will uh, pray for the hearers and readers of his letter that God's blessing uh, may be upon them. Uh, this is not a, a blessing of wishful thinking. It's not something that, that uh, the writer is just kind of uh, coming up with on his own and kind of thinking about, man, this would be really great if God did this, and so I'm going to ask God to do this. Rather, uh, as you will see today, the blessing, the supplication that is offered on behalf of the readers and hearers of the letter is based upon some very foundational truths that the writer first declares. And so the very supplication that he offers to God on behalf of the people is connected to 
the declaration of God's nature and character uh, before that supplication comes. In this case, we see now may. We see supplication there. We understand that the writer is, is offering supplication to the Lord. But look at what comes next. Now may what? May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. That's where that foundational truth, this very, it's very theological in nature, these statements, these declarative statements of God's character, His nature, His work. He declares these things because they are truth. And then from then, from there, he then offers the supplication that he began with. Now may this God, who is and does all of these things, may he, what, verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The idea being that the only one who can equip you with everything good that you may do his will is this God of peace who raised up from the dead Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, we need only go to Romans 3 to find that there is nothing good in us. <laughs> there is no one who does good. No, not one, Paul says in Romans chapter 3. And so what do we need? We need someone with resurrection power to come and actually work within us those good things. We cannot do them on our own. We need this God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Not only that, but let us not forget just a few weeks ago as we went through our Advent season and we were brought to Isaiah chapter 9 and we heard of this one who is coming who will be called the Prince of Peace. And what did that mean for us? It was not merely that his very presence by itself uh, brought about shalom without any effort, but that as the Prince of Peace, he was the one who went to war for us and won our peace, was victorious in such a way that peace was brought about on our behalf. Shalom came. Again, that shalom is a better word for us than the English word peace, uh, especially in modern contexts. Often we think of peace, we think of, you know, peace man. If we're old enough to remember the hippie days or close enough connected to them to know anything about them, we might think of peace in that way. Uh, or, or peace out, homie. Um, you know, and that's not the kind of peace that the Bible is referring to when we talk about peace. What is being referenced here is the the very Jewish idea of peace, the Middle Eastern idea of peace, which is shalom, which is a wholeness, which is a, 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 a all-encompassing, holistic, salvific, restorative peace, that that which was broken by sin in the garden would be remade and, and, the, and everything that was undone in sin would be put back together. That's shalom. Uh, so much so that, that that is really what is contained in the greeting of shalom 
that people in the Middle East will offer to one another. When they say, Shalom, peace be unto you, and they return that peace, and peace be also unto you. It is not merely the absence of conflict, but it is, it is almost a supplication and prayer in itself that God would bring wholeness and restoration and salvation to this person. And that's the kind of peace that our God is the God of. May the God of all peace guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, the God of all shalom, of all wholeness, the one who is able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, even though all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't do it. He is the one who is able to fit these pieces back together and to undo what has been undone and bring it back into a place of wholeness. And he can do this not only because he is God, but because in Jesus Christ, God has done what is necessary to bring restoration and redemption. And so it is this God that the writer is praying will equip you with everything good that you may do his will, because that is the only way that you could do his will. Not only that, but working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Notice also that how is it being done? It is being done through Jesus Christ. Why? Because everything that God the Father does for us is done for us in and through the Son. Remember, every spiritual blessing, the treasure that is hidden Christ, every spiritual blessing is ours in Him. So much so that it is important for us, even as we evangelize, even as we remind each other of the blessings of the gospel, that we do not understand those blessings as being separate from the person and work of Jesus Christ Himself. So that when we evangelize, we do not offer people blessings divorced from the person and work of Jesus, but we offer them Jesus and understand that all spiritual blessings are contained in Him. It's important for us to see this this morning and remember, be reminded that all of the blessings that we could need, what we, very, we sang about just now, and great is His faithfulness, all I have needed, He hath provided. Well, how? Has God provided it? He has provided it for us in and through His Son, Jesus Christ, to whom the writer says here, the preacher actually in Hebrews, be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a benediction, one of many uh, in the New Testament. Um, in our own day, we think of benediction. We think, well, we have a benediction every week, right, in our service. At the end of our service, we uh, someone will pray uh, a prayer of benediction. Uh, the one that we use every week, uh, most historically here at Redemption Hill, is found in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, where the writer will say, essentially, now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Uh, just uh, by way of mentioning, because of modern happenings in the last several weeks, that amen has nothing to do with maleness. I uh, hope that you understand that has nothing to do with maleness. Uh, it, is, it is not masculine. It has to do with a declaration and a prayer of let it be so. 
uh, that's how we end our prayers. That's what amen means. It has nothing to do with men or maleness. It has everything to do with saying, my confidence is in the God to whom I am praying. May what I have prayed be so. Amen. When we pray that prayer of benediction, it builds to that amen. There should be something inside of you that begins to well up. If the Spirit of God is within you, that begins to well up as we pray these words. Now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, what do you need more today than more of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that not why we have gathered here today? So that we might receive what is called the means of grace. The conduit through which God pipes in his grace to you is found here each and every Lord's Day through the proclamation of his word and through the receiving of his sacraments. And there should be something inside of you that when someone is praying that the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ is being extended to you, there, that amen should already be welling up inside of you. Then we get to, and the love of God our Father, there should be something inside of you that yearns for the love of your Abba, of your Heavenly Father, so that when someone is praying that the love of God your Father would be extended to you, again, that Amen is already welling up inside of you. And then we get to the fellowship. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What, what a gift is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. For once upon a time, in sundry time and sundry ways, the Holy Spirit would come to rest upon someone and leave. But we live in an era, brothers and sisters, where the Holy Spirit has come to stay. He takes up residence within the heart of every true believer. And you have, by the grace of God, through the work of Jesus Christ, His Son, the fellowship, the ongoing koinonia fellowship, communion with God Himself via the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence in your life. What a gift is that fellowship. And so when someone prays that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be extended to you, that you would have a greater comprehension and understanding of the communion that you have with God because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that amen should already be on your lips at that point so that when we say amen in the prayer, inside of you there is an amen. That your faith would be reaching out to take a hold of that amen, I've noticed uh, many, uh, uh, I would say, in obedience to the New Testament, where Paul instructs that men should lift holy hands. I have noticed that many, during the prayer of benediction, lift up their hand. And why are they doing that? It's not hocus pocus. It's not magic. It's, it's, there is something about Inside of them, the amen is raising up and they are extending their faith to grab a hold of that for which we are supplicating. But this is the beautiful thing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is the very, are the very things that God wants to extend to his people. 
wants them to comprehend more and more, wants them to experience at a deeper and more intimate level every time. So much so that we pray that prayer with such confidence and say amen with such confidence that when we say, let it be so, it is not wishful thinking, but expectant anticipation. Expectant anticipation. And this is what we find with all of the benedictions that we find in Scripture. That these benedictions and prayers and supplications that are offered to God on behalf of people, for that truly is kind of the distinction that we're going to find between benediction and doxology. There, there are these doxologies contained especially in the New Testament, in the Psalms as well, uh, praises to God that are offered from the people to God and yet it edifies us, but it's not for us. It is totally and completely a, a, an utterance of praise, a declarative utterance of praise to the truth of who God is, His nature, His character, and His work. A benediction is similar, and in this case is one of the few benedictions that really carries with it both doxology and benediction, which is a supplication but a benediction is manward. Doxology is Godward. It's totally a praise of God. But benediction is manward in the sense that there is a supplication that is being made to the Lord on behalf of the people. There's something that is being requested, asked for, supplicated in a benediction. And, and, and that benediction, that supplication every time again, is not wishful thinking. It's not, it's not a prayer of wishful thinking. Man, I really hope God could find it in his heart to possibly do this thing for us. It is, again, this place of expectant anticipation that God will do it. Most benedictions are found at the end of our New Testament letters, but not all. Uh, you will find times uh, throughout the New Testament letters that Paul will kind of break, just like he breaks into doxology at different times, he also will break into a supplication on behalf of the people. An example of that can be found in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, which would be a, a very much a benediction, uh, but it is not at the end of the letter. Uh, and, but because most of the benedictions are found at the end of the New Testament letters, um, we have seen them in practice in our liturgy in church worship at the end of our services. Um, is when we offer the benediction. In fact, I would believe that a lot of people might think that the word benediction just means ending. Um, you know, that that's some kind of fancy way for the church to, you know, basically in the service to say, that's all, folks. Uh, but that is not what a benediction is. It, it is not meant to merely just be a fancy way of closing the service. There is much uh, needful prayer that is actually happening there. It's important for us to understand this so that we don't fall prey uh, to a place of just entering into rote or routine when we get to the end of our service because we've prayed the same prayer every week for the last six, almost seven years. Um, but that we would understand that 
this supplication that we are making each and every Lord's Day is something that we are expectantly anticipating that God will do. And I would say over the last seven years, we have seen God answer that prayer. We have seen the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ extended to more and more people, a comprehension and understanding of that grace growing and maturing in this body. We have seen the love of God our Father extended uh, to the people of Redemption Hill. Again, their understanding of that love and comprehension of that love growing and maturing over the last seven years. I believe that we have seen a growth in our fellowship in the Holy Spirit together. We've seen people grow in their comprehension and understanding. And so we need to understand that when we get you know, to that point and the last you know, uh, reading has been read and, and in our minds we're already, okay, benediction and we're done. And, and, and there can be almost a, a point of like checking out already. Uh, I've noticed even times where someone's about to pray the prayer of benediction and conversations are already beginning to start within the body. And I'm, I'm not rebuking you this morning, but I'm exhorting you to remember that that's not just a fancy way to close our service. There is deep, meaningful, personal prayer that is being offered to the Lord on your behalf because what you need is the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now this benediction at the end of Hebrews is unique, as I said, because it is also element, and elementally a doxology. It's, it's beautiful, this praise, this Godward praise that glorifies God and edifies us as his people. Um, but it does contain this supplication, which is what makes it a benediction. So let's, let's talk about what a benediction is. A benediction is still worshipful as a doxology is. And in this particular case, it, can, it includes doxological praise. But instead of being merely God word, a benediction is a man word word of supplication. When I say God word and man word, think of the word toward. Okay, uh, that it is a, a doxology is being offered toward God. A benediction is being offered toward God, but on behalf of of people and so it's man word in that regard because its ending is meant to end terminate in God's blessing his people okay and so it's a man word word of supplication declared with faith that God will accomplish the thing asked because it is asked according to his nature character will and work you want to talk about a prayer that you can expect to be answered. Pray, what did John say in 1 John that we just got done with? Pray according to God's will. Well, how do we, there's not much better way that you can do that than to allow your prayer to be directed according to God's nature, character, will, and work. There is no doubting at that point whether or not God wants to do the very thing that you're asking him to do. He does. And so this is the very thing that God wants to do and has already provided for. Look, what is being asked for? That we would be equipped with everything good that we may do his will. Is that what God wants? Does he want his people to do his will? Yes, he does. But has he provided for that? Yes, he has. And what do we see in the prayer? 
May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, listen, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you. So the equipping is not separated from the blood of the eternal covenant. The provision of your equipment to do every good thing according to God's will is found in the provision of the eternal blood of the covenant, the very blood which Jesus shed upon the cross for you and for the remission of your sins and for the whole world. So we are asking for the very thing that God wants to do and has already provided for. Uh, the word benediction should be helpful for us. We live in South Central Texas, okay? Uh, I know it sounds a little more Italian, but it gets close. Bene. What is bene? In Italian, bueno in Spanish. It's good. What is diction? Diction is word. Uh, we talk about diction in the way that we speak. It is to speak. Uh, it's bad English, but it basically means good speak, good word. Okay. Uh, to put it more accurately, it is to speak a good word. Or I would say, uh, to say it twice, to say it better, it is to speak a better word. It is to speak a better word. Something interesting that I heard a, a pastor recently talk about in the book of Hebrews, that you could basically sum up all of the book of Hebrews itself with one word, and that word is better. Because what's being expounded in the book of Hebrews is how that Jesus is not only the fulfillment of the old covenant, uh, but he is the better. He is better. And everything about the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Uh, and, and so it is to speak a better word. Uh, or, even more accurately, it is to speak a better word of blessing. And so that's, that's truly what is, is happening. Now, let's think about this for a second. Um, one of the things that I want to do here in the coming weeks, and I don't know how soon, if we'll start this next week or... We may delay it a couple weeks, I'm not sure. I want to begin going through and preaching from the Word of God the impetus for our different elements of liturgy and worship in our services so that we understand why we do all the different things that we do in our service. It may be odd to start with the benediction, but let's think about it this way. If the benediction is to is to speak a better word. In, in that very statement is almost contained everything that this gathering and worship service is all about. We come here to sit under the preaching of God's word, which is what for us? It is a better word of blessing from God. So much so that that it culminates in that last moment where we literally hear spoken over us a word of God's blessing to us. Now, it is a supplication that is uttered to God through a mediator, whoever the speaker is, but where is the blessing coming from? It's not from the mediator. It's not from Joel or I standing up and saying, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. It's not coming from us. Where is it coming from? 
It's coming from God. Who is the one who is speaking a better word? It is God. And through a mediator, you are hearing every single Lord's Day, the voice of the Lord through that mediator over your life, speaking a better word for you. And that better word is going to come into play here in just a moment. But let's, let's talk about where this idea of speaking a better word of blessing comes from. Uh, many of you perhaps started uh, at the beginning of the year new reading plans, reading uh, through the Bible perhaps, depending on what your plan is like, you might still be in the book of Genesis. And as you read through the book of Genesis, what do you begin to find? Uh, there is a huge amount of father and son relationships that are laid out throughout the book of Genesis. Interestingly, our whole faith is built on a father-son relationship. And so it's no accident that we see constructed for us there in the book of Genesis, father and son relationship after father and son relationship. But what happens towards the end of the life of each of those fathers? They call their sons and they put their right hand, which is the right hand of blessing, on their heads and they speak a better word. They utter a benediction. They offer a blessing upon that son. We see Abraham doing it with Isaac. We see Isaac most famously doing it with Jacob, who was not the eldest son. Esau was, and that's probably one of the most famous uh, times. We're going to look at that. We see Jacob turning around and doing it with all 12 of his sons and even Joseph's sons who are his grandsons uttering this blessing. And what do you find as you continue through the book of Genesis? We find, again, these were not, uh, you know, wishful thinking kind of prayers that these fathers were uttering. There is, in fact, a kind of prophetic um, experience that happens. Why? Because the very things that they pray over their sons, as you continue through the narrative, the historical narrative, you find they happen. They happen. There was power in these blessings that were uttered by these fathers. Of course, because they've been uttered according to God's will. These patriarchal blessings were not merely a father's wishes for their sons. They were unalterable utterances spoken and received with confident faith. Um, uh, again, for example, Jacob's prayer over Judah. He did come to lead Israel. Genesis 49, 9-10. Uh, the family blessing was mediated by God through the faith of the patriarch, thus receiving a blessing was clearly in the son's best interest, whoever it was. So let's talk about Jacob and Esau. Did you ever think that it was odd that um, Jacob's mother would come to him and conspire with him to trick his father just so that he could pray over him. Did, did you ever find it funny that Esau would have a greater guttural emotional reaction to missing out on that prayer than he did from giving up his birthright for a pot of stew? 
Why? Because these utterances were unalterable. He he couldn't take it back. Isaac couldn't take back his word once he realized that he had blessed the wrong, the wrong, so to speak. We know because when Jacob and Esau, who were twins, were in the womb, God had already said that the younger will lord over the older. Um, This was already in motion. But even so, Jacob, uh, once, once Isaac figured out that he had blessed Jacob instead of Esau, who was his oldest, he couldn't take it back. Esau begs him. And Isaac basically says, I, I, I can't. Well, do you have anything for me? Remember the story. And Isaac tries to, to pray over his son, but it's, it's, it's lacking. Why? Because the blessing had already been uttered. It had already been uttered, and it was unalterable. But how, okay, so we see that. And, and I will say that I, I think it's important. Fathers, bless your children. Pray prayers of blessing over your children. Don't just pray prayers of wishful thinking, but, but consider God's character, His nature, His will, His work. And pray things according to God's character, nature, will, and work over your children. And I will say this, especially over your sons. For they are the ones who are called to lead their families, even as you have been called to lead your family. That does not mean to neglect praying over your daughters. Pray over your daughters as well. But again, pray prayers that are in accordance with God's character, nature, will, and work. And the design that God has given for both uh, your sons and your daughters. But that's kind of a familial thing. And we know that, that Israel's worship was very much tied up in family and nation, which is different from our worship. So how, how did this come to be a part of our worship um, and, and not merely just through the existence of these benedictions being present in the New Testament letters, though that is important, especially when we consider that the book of Hebrews, which is a, a book for us and is a letter in some sense, is actually a sermon. And so we see a benediction at the end of this sermon. Um, interestingly, uh, 13 chapters in, the preacher uh, says uh, in verse 22, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. So it was a brief sermon, believe it or not. Uh, the book of Hebrews was a brief sermon. I'll just let that uh, simmer for a minute. But um, what we find is that it comes to be a part of our worship through God's command to the priests, uh, specifically Aaron and his sons in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 through 27. So I'll invite you to turn there if you'd like, number 6. And in verses 22 through 27, listen, listen to how God instructs here. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Verse 27 continues, concludes the Lord's instruction as he says, So shall they, meaning the priests, Aaron and his sons, put my name upon the people of Israel, and what? And I will bless them. So when Aaron and his sons and all the priests that followed after them, and I would say even in that uh, sort of uh, uh, procession through the ages all the way up into the apostles and from the apostles to all the elders that they appointed and from those elders through all the other elders that led to us being here today, uh, the confident expectation is, again, that God will do the very thing that he commanded them to pray over the people. In other words, that the Lord would bless them, that he would keep them, that he would make his face to shine upon them, that he would be gracious to them, that the Lord would lift up their count, his countenance upon them and give them peace. Why? Because the Lord said he would do it. And is he a man that he should lie? The answer is no. That even while we are faithless, he remains faithful. And he is not a man that he should lie. And the word of the Lord stands forever. And so there is this confident expectation that when the priests of God would pray this prayer of blessing and benediction over the people, Again, it was not wishful thinking. It was a confident expectation and anticipation of God's work. Why? Because God promises to do it. Well, let me ask you, church, how today can we say that the Lord has most greatly blessed us? How today can we say that he has uh, shown and proven his ability to keep us? How has God caused his face to shine upon us and give us grace? How has he lifted up his countenance upon us and given us peace? It's rhetorical in a sense, I suppose. But it's through Christ. It is through Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Romans 5 says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And what is hope? Faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Not only that, back to Romans 5, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our sufferings produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This Trinitarian work comes to us through Jesus Christ. The, the greatest blessing is Jesus. The greatest blessing is Jesus. And in Him, as we have already said this morning, all spiritual blessings are found. He is the living Word of God. He speaks a better word over us. 
Now, again, we come to that place. He speaks a better word. Where does that come from? That comes from right before the benediction that we read this morning. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, think better, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now let's read it in context. That's where the idea, he speaks a better word, comes from. It says that his blood even speaks a better word, a better word than a specific person, the blood of who? Of Abel. What word did the blood of Abel speak? Murderer. Murderer. But what does the blood of Jesus Christ, what better word does the blood of Jesus Christ speak? Jesus' blood cries out with him. Come to me, all ye who are weary and labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus' blood cries out with him. Father, forgive them. Jesus' blood cries out with him. It is finished, accomplished, paid in full. Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Look at this in context, if you will, beginning in verse number 18 of Hebrews chapter 12. And think about this in context of the preacher speaking to these Hebrew believers about a better covenant and a better uh, situation than what they had before. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. If you remember now, the preacher is referring to what happened there on the side of Mount Sinai as, as darkness and gloom overtook the mountain as Moses went on top and the word of the Lord was heard and great fear was struck in the hearts of the people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having to be in such a place that when you hear the word of the Lord that it would actually strike you with such fear that you get down on your knees and beg that no further words would be spoken? Can you say better? We come expecting. We come every Lord's Day expecting that the word of the Lord will be proclaimed, that we could hear the voice of God through his word preached and proclaimed over us. And hopefully what comes out of our hearts is not please, no, stop, don't speak another word, but please give me more. Why is that? It's because of Jesus. It is better. It has changed. For they could not endure, verse 20, the order that was given, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, so now there's going to be a change, a contrast. For you've not come, he said, he started out with in verse 18, but now, verse 22, but you have come to what? To Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly 
Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new, again, think better covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Did you know that this is what your concept of coming to church ought to be? That as you gather together with these saints that you see in the flesh and blood, and we lift up our praises to God together, and as we sing together, and as we sit in submission to the Word of God together, we are not alone, this passage says. We are actually entering, yes, just like the bread is still bread and the wine is still wine, that door is still a door, and yet it is a portal into the heavens. That when you come through that door, you are transported to the heavenly realm. You enter into the house of God where his presence dwells. And you are gathered together, yes, with one another whom you can see here today, but also with the festal, the angels in festal gathering. What does that mean? They are in absolute exuberance in the presence of God. And not only that, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, which means what? That every week when I commune with the Lord at the Lord's table, I also commune with my grandmother who has passed on. She is one of those souls of the righteous who has gone before. Just, just before this in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, what did the writer, the preacher say? He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher, the perfecter of our faith. We're not just joined together here. We're joined together with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. We're joined together with the angels who are also worshiping God together with us. We are joined together with all those saints who have gone on before us, our loved ones whom we know and we miss, and the ones that we have never known but have prayed for us. That's an incredible thought. And we are transported as we walk through those doors, if we walk through those doors by faith. In the same way that the bread and the wine remain bread and wine, and yet when we receive them by faith, they are for us the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And we do each and every Lord's Day by faith feed on Christ. We enter into this place and we do it so that we may receive. And I don't just mean receive like we heard it. I mean receive like we hear it, and that hearing goes down and is planted into our hearts, that we may receive the better word of God by Christ spoken over us. Our words cannot be taken back. We know that. We act, that whole idea of Jacob, of, of Isaac saying to Esau, I can't take it back, that's, that's not unique only to the blessing that was uttered over the sons. We know that. We know that once we speak something, we cannot take it back. 
We can say other things. We can say, I'm sorry that I said that. We can say, I should not have said that, but I did. I can't take it back. I can say new things. And all of us carry with us the weight of things that have been spoken to us and over us by different people that have damaged us. Whether it be the cacophony of words that we have heard or the absence of words that we have not heard. Most often that comes in the form of a father wound. Because there have been fathers that have either spoken too much or too little. And those words cannot be taken back. But they can be undone. And they can be undone each and every Lord's Day as you hear a better word spoken by your Father, your Heavenly Father, over you in His presence where He has provided everything that is necessary. And what does it say? It says, see, verse 25, Hebrews 12, 25, see that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. There may be times that you think that you are not deserving of that better word of blessing over your life, and you may start to tune it out. It says here, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 28, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, listen to this, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The preacher will then go into a bunch of instruction through verse chapter 13. But then he gets to the end here in verse 20 and 21. And what does he do? He speaks that better word from the Father through him as a mediator over the people, confidently expecting that God will actually do the very thing that he is asking for. If you were to go back even just a little bit in chapter 12, I, I, love, I love this. Um, sorry, chapter 11. We know that chapter 11 in Hebrews is often known as the, the hall of faith in the, in the Bible, right? The, that a lot of people refer to it because it just lists all these different fathers and, and different people of the faith and they did this by faith they did this by this they received this by faith they did this over and over and over again and it's all this amazing things that they accomplished by faith but then you get to the end of chapter 11 and it changes a little bit you get to the end in verse 32 of Hebrews 11 it says and what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon Barak Samson Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, still all amazing stuff. 
stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong in weakness, became mighty in war, put armies, foreign armies to flight. But listen to this. Women received back their dead by resurrection, period. Now it turns. Some, by faith, were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others, by faith, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, all blessed by the Lord with that suffering. In all these, verse 39, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. In other words, what? The patriarchs of old were blessed by God, but they did not receive the fulfillment of that blessing. Because God was waiting to send Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of that blessing. Their faith was forward-looking, and we now get to live in a state of grace whereby our faith is backward-looking so that we have received the fulfillment in Jesus, and through Him we have received, as Hebrews 12 said, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Why is that so important? It's important for the very reason that Craig, when we got up this morning to sing and we started with the mighty fortress is our God, and he said this is important for us in this time. Why? Because there are so many things that are being shaken. And we have to understand, even as Joel has preached to us over the last two weeks, rest, rest. We have to understand that we can be transported from this world into the heavenly realm every time we walk through those doors. And no matter what else is going on in the world, what, no matter what else is being shaken and stirred up, remember that it's being shaken and stirred up for a reason. So that those things which are transient, which are temporary, can be stripped away so that what will remain is that which is eternal. And we can come into a place of confidence and rest where we are served by our God, our Master, our King, who is also our Father and through Jesus has spoken a better word over us. That's why this is so important. That's why benediction is so important. It's important for us to understand that we are transported to that place so that we can receive from God. Now, real quick, so often we come to this place, we gather here, and we do a lot of stuff, right? We got here at eight, between 8 and 8.30 this morning, and stuff had to be moved out of the way, and and curtains had to be hung, and or had to be. We do it because it helps, and it makes things easier, and chairs are put out. Again, not because we need chairs. I've got friends that have church on standing up under trees every week. We don't need them, but it's nice, and we do it, and we have announcements because it's nice, and we need to know what time to be somewhere and all that kind of stuff so we can get together. But we do all of that stuff, and often we come into this place with an understanding, and I've even heard people talk this way, 
that God becomes the guest of honor. Church, God is your host. And we don't, we, 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 have, we, have, we have been so uh, fiscally blessed that we don't understand anymore the idea of being invited to the master's home. Because once upon a time, most of us would have been serfs. Servants, serfs, not the top of the top, but the low of the low. And if there was ever to be feasting in our lives, it was only going to come if we were invited to the master's house. Where the host would provide everything. Even at times, and Jesus alludes to this in one of his parables, the clothing the bathing and the clothing that is necessary to be in the presence of the master. So much so that everything that you would receive, you would understand you had received at the hand of the host. Church, God is our host. Yes, this is Casa Helotus, but on Sunday mornings, by faith, when we come through those doors, we come into the house of God. We come into his house to be served by him, our host. And we come to receive from him because we cannot provide it for ourselves. We come and our host is not a demeaning, demonstrative, tyrannical host. But he is a host who is gracious. Not only that, it gets better that host has adopted us who are the serfs, who are the servants, and he has made us his children and his heirs. He has bathed us in the waters of baptism. He has clothed us in the robes of righteousness which are washed by the blood of the eternal covenant. And he feeds us not only from his own table, but from his very body. And that's why we come today. And he will not let us leave, lest we hear from him a better word, a word of benediction, a word of blessing from his heart over us, a work that he will do. Now, May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. And we all said, Amen. God bless you as we move into a time of communion this morning.